Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, we covered a solid crop of new releases, including hot commodities like Disney's Jungle Cruise, the new Matt Damon drama Stillwater, A24's anticipated indie gem The Green Knight, and a French action farce starring Jean-Claude Van Damme that just hit Netflix, The Last Mercenary. For the staff pick section, we suggested a few movies set in Tokyo that maybe give a bit more context to the current Summer Olympics host city. And finally, we'll get into some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with contact info if you want to sound off in our inbox or Twitter DMs. Let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. We've got Bruce Miller out in Sioux City. we got Jerry McNett out in Mason City. And we got Chris Lay, me, in Madison City. What have you guys seen lately? I've seen everything. You have. Right. I saw Old, which I thought was dreadful. Oh, no. I saw, uh, we can go back to these. I saw Jungle Cruise, very populist. Up your alley. Yeah, it could be my thing. And then I saw Stillwater, and I really liked that. I thought that was good. I watched the, the trailer for Jungle Cruise. I watched it twice now and i am way more into the idea of seeing it than i expected to be and it also feels like it's got a lot more uh connections to what is the uh, the african queen right it's shameless it's shameless so close to that hopefully not all the way up to the you know tragic end (laughs) yeah there's a very um big tie to um Pirates of the Caribbean, because they use a lot of the special effects like that, but also Indiana Jones. You see a very big Indiana Jones vibe in this. And The Rock is good. Uh, he is just not as feisty, perhaps, as maybe Humphrey Bogart might have been. Um, he's a little more accepting. He plays the the skipper of this cruise kind of for tourists back in the turn of the century to go around the Amazon. And he, what it is, is they've just borrowed the, the one-liners that they use at the theme parks, you know, turn around and wave goodbye to civilization, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's funny to get you into it because then you go, okay, I get the concept here. And then this brother and sister act come to uh, find, they're looking for this, this hidden place where it can cure all diseases and whatever, they got a map and an amulet and all that kind of junk. And they're looking for some guy to drive the boat. Well, there's a lot of gunplay. There's a guy in a submarine, Jesse Plemons, a lot of stuff that's going on. And then they wind up going with the rock. And then they're kind of in and out of this. And it's when it gets into the supernatural, that's where I don't like it. Um, you know, people who are dead 400 years ago suddenly come back to life. And I think that's where it goes awry. It'd be better just to have them looking for this place and then run into just the regular things that you'd see as a problem, not things that are kind of flying around in the air and could suddenly shape shift on you. It's way too overstuffed. The kids will love it. They don't need to worry about you know anything in it that's gonna really scar them for life. Um, and Emily Blunt and, and, and Dwayne Johnson work well together. They're a good team. Jack Whitehall plays her brother. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a British comedian. And he plays kind of this foppish brother who um, uh, really, I mean, he brings all the suitcases. He has all these clothes that he's bringing with for changing purposes. And you get what they're trying to do there. And then he has apparently a coming out scene. I mean, they call it a coming out scene, but he's uh, talking with The Rock about, well, I, they wanted me to be married and I really didn't feel it was fair, you know, but it, he doesn't come out and say I'm gay. It's just, it's, it's as close as Disney gets to having a gay character. It was weird seeing people talk about that on Twitter. And then I was like reading the actual back and forth in the movie. And I was like, this is very veiled. Like, right. right. I, I don't think yeah. it comes out at all where you go, 
Real, he could be just a guy who likes cheese. You know, you never know. <laughs> He's coming out as someone who's got who's got intense opinions on Brie. Yeah, it 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 was not anything where I thought, oh my god, Jiminy Cricket is gay. I can't believe it. It wasn't like that at all. <laughs> you can whistle. You know, that was one of the things that happened after COVID. I couldn't whistle anymore. So there we go. Wait, why can't you whistle? I don't know. It just stopped after COVID. Like you lost the ability to whistle. Yeah. And I've tried to learn again and I don't know what it was. I mean, that's a, uh, one of the unintended, uh, social side effects, I guess. You don't read stories about that. I'll tell you right now. You do not know that you can't whistle after COVID. So with the jungle cruise, another one of the things that kind of got me a little bit excited is I didn't realize that the director, uh, Jean Colette Sarah, I suppose is how, how you pronounce his name. He has this pretty solid background in like middle brow genre stuff. Like he's worked with Liam Neeson on multiple movies. <laughs> um, and also he did, he directed The Shallows, which was a really great, uh, extremely low budget horror movie starring Blake Lively, if anybody remembers that from 2016. Yeah, it does a tremendous amount with the uh, you know kind of ridiculous premise of you know someone who's stuck on this rock while he does all the wrong things that is yeah. so stupid which you like you go you deserve it why did you even go out here and then bringing the phone out i mean all that stuff is just you want a killer but that's the movie that's the <laughs> very much like old this group of people are staying at a resort and they say, we're going to give you a very secluded beach that only you get to go to as this special thing. And they haul these people out there and they can't get off the, the beach. And then they start aging. So it's the same, same kind of crap. People making stupid decisions. Why do you leave a posh resort that has everything and service to go to a beach where nothing happens and they got a pasta salad that looks like it's going to turn any minute? Before we get into old, uh, one thing I will say with uh, Jungle Cruise, or I guess two things, is that like uh, to a much less degree than Nicolas Cage, because The Rock obviously is not the actor Nicolas Cage is, but I think he also has the problem of like, sometimes he just turns it off or isn't feeling it in movies, and so he just kind of sleepwalks through stuff, and when he actually tries, he's way more interesting to watch in movies and stuff, and it seems like maybe this is one where he tries a little bit more. Than he's a charming else. guy, and mm-hmm. I, you know, of all those ones who try to make a transition into acting, he's probably the most successful because you buy him as these characters. And I like his little TV show about his, his growing up days. Um, I think that really works well. He, he isn't trying to pull a fast one on you. He's just saying, here I am. And you know he can't play all roles. The way he's built, it's, I do think it kind of works against him in this because he should be also at peril. And you never feel like we're gonna lose the rock at any point. We lose Emily Blunt, but we're not gonna lose him. And it's also interesting to see like, cause I mean, it's almost a genre that's completely dried up at this point. Like this particular kind of like adventure movie, like you maybe get one of these a year, if that anymore. Like what was the last one of, I mean like the last one of these I saw uh, was like Lost City of Z and that was like four years ago now. And that obviously is way less swashbuckling than this one is supposed to be. And it's a much more like serious adventure kind of thing. But even still, not uh, the adventure market is not uh, what it once was. (laughs) Well, and they try to move everything to sci-fi. And really, I'd rather be in something that could happen to me rather than something that certainly isn't if I don't know Elon Musk. (laughs) Now, uh, old. So Bruce, you saw what? What were your uh, what were your problems with old? Okay, have you seen it? Oh yeah, I saw it uh, on Friday. All right, well then I'm, I I I'll I have to be careful about the spoilers and everything. Chris hasn't seen it yet, so I haven't seen it yet, and obviously a lot of our audience hasn't seen it yet. And, so here are these yeah. people who all represent a different kind of category, if you will, that are stuck on this beach. It was okay. The beach doesn't look that great. It's no Blue Lagoon or anything like that. But you get there and then they are all kind of like thing, little things go wrong. They see a rapper over in the corner who's like kind of, you don't know what he's doing and the blood is coming out of his nose. And then you discover that 
his girlfriend, his partner, his wife, whatever she is, is dead. And well, what, what happened here? This is supposed to be a good little beach. And then they start seeing creepy things like that happen all along the way. Somebody, she, she has epilepsy. I believe she's a, is she a psychologist? Uh, she is a, yeah, she's a psychologist. And her husband's like a nurse or something. And she notices that she doesn't have uh, any kind of seizures when she's out there. So that's kind of interesting for her that there's something here. I don't know, is it the seawater? Is it something else? And then, um, then you see these kids go to their mom and dad, my clothes feel kind of tight. My clothes are tight. So you see some, something's happening here. And before you know it, a little girl's pregnant, right? That's how bad it is. And then the little girl gives birth. Come on, let's have this. And in two seconds later, she's up climbing the mountain to try and get out of there. And you think, I, I get the premise that you're aging, but would you climb a mountain after you just had a kid? I don't yeah. think so. And so far, you haven't mentioned anything that isn't in the trailer practically, for all intents and purposes. And it's, you know, it's another one of those things. I wish he would quit this. He's got to do something where it isn't that twist. And when you find it, you go, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, can I make a reference? Maybe I'm going to. It's like the island of Dr. Moreau. That doesn't tip anything, I don't think. Okay. It's, it's just like, you know, there are greater forces at work outside of them. Does that work, Jared? Is that okay to say that? It's weird because I both do and don't have uh problems with the twist i didn't have problems with what the twist ends up being like what it reveals i just had a problem i think they maybe started like tipping the hand about what was going on a little too early in the movie um and basically just showing like stuff in the background too too early in the movie that lets you know something is up and I think they maybe could have waited a little bit on that, but ultimately I didn't mind necessarily what the twist ended up resulting in. I thought that was totally fine. But wasn't acting just horrid? I actually liked some of it because I kind of enjoyed just, it felt very stilted in parts and I actually kind of liked that. <laughs> that husband and wife with the two kids, she is so bad. And I know that she has good credits and things, but no, I don't know why I, I don't like you. She just, it was just enough, enough with this crap. And then there's this one kind of sex pot where she looks like, you know, really gorgeous. And all they do is put bad makeup on her as she's aging and she can't quite deal with being older. And, um, you know, just a lot of it. And then how stupid are these people? I guess I'll go swimming to try and figure out if we can get off this island. Really? I'm not going swimming. And that nobody had cell service to begin with, this is like stupid, stupid. In this day and age, you would never go anywhere where you couldn't have cell service. It does telegraph a little early into things that like these are, uh, to varying degrees, all kind of like vain and conceited people. So like the fact that they would go to this beach because they were told it was like exclusive and everything is absolutely, totally believable, I think. Like, oh, I'm getting in on something that other people don't know about. This is... This is because I have done something to earn the right to go on this very secluded beach. And M. Night is driving the van. Yeah, that, because uh, he pops up in all of his movies. That, that was actually one of my favorite times he's popped up in any of his movies, actually, is in old. He, he's pretty fun, what his character ends up being in old, I think. Um, I will say, uh, there, there were, because um, it's not my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like, I think it's like a three and a half out of five. But um, there's some good uh nightmarish stuff in this movie especially um without going any farther than just saying the whole the way the whole pregnancy uh part plays out is like really nightmarish and i thought that actually worked pretty well i was like wincing during that whole part of the movie so she's having a baby yep and then the next thing you know she's digging in the pasta salad for me having not seen it and seeing the accumulation of, of memes I feel a pressure to see it just so the I, I can experience the ending in some kind of pure sense without having anything spoiled. It seems like because so many of his movies, we we talk about the the twist 
uh, as being just such a known quantity. Like it's not, you know, even it's the idea of talking about the ending of, of the sixth sense right now is like ridiculous. Everyone just knows it's, you know, Rosebud is the sled level, not a spoiler spoiler. And it feels like this is going to creep into that territory fast. And so I need to go and see it. So, you know, he might make movies that are better to see on second viewing because once you know what goes on, then you can look and see how well they carried it out. So this is what we're talking about is how the theater industry is going to thrive is we've got somebody who's making a movie that people have to go see before it gets ruined. And then also they got to go see it again. It should be said that this was number one at the box office last week. You know, it didn't rake in like a hundred million dollars or something, but it beat out like, you know, what second week of like, the second or third week of Black Widow and, you know, lingering stuff from some of the other franchise like vehicles that are out right now, which, you know, no small feat in, even if they're in their second or third week for a horror movie that's not that big budget. Like, even though it's a you know a big director to come in at number one at the box office is, is pretty impressive, especially with this much like turmoil in the box office right now. And that is something that I'm going to like that topic of ticket sales and everything is something that I want to jump into a little bit for, for the news section. So stick around and we'll, we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into that before this, this episode's over. And then the other new one, Stillwater. Which you, you saw like a week or two ago, right? Yeah. And now Amanda Knox has come out and she's done a, um, is it a Twitter feed or a thread on all of that and how she doesn't like the idea that people are referencing her in connection with this film. And I never did. So there you go. I mean, do you want to kind of throw the the rough plot of, of Stillwater out there, Bruce? Yeah, it's about a uh, kind of a common man from Stillwater, Oklahoma, who you find out as it kind of unfolds. He's going to, to France, Marseille, to see his daughter who's in prison. And she has been um, convicted of killing her roommate. So the, here's where you get that she was in college there and she, you know, something happened and the roommate died. And she says, I've got some new information that uh, could clear me. We need to find this guy. He can, he will vouch that I'm the one. Then Matt Damon's character goes to the attorney and the attorney says, no, you know, it just, it just let it be. It, it is what it is. And so they won't help. So he decides he's going to follow up on this case himself even though he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the legal system, he doesn't know the people in the country. He's really, it'd be us if we went there and tried to figure this out, where you go, yeah, I think she's okay in prison. Um, and so what happens is then he starts meeting people. He lives with a, an actress and her daughter in a spare room. And the little girl becomes actually the daughter he never had. He wasn't close to his daughter before. And they bond and the, the little girl teaches him French. She teaches he teaches her about um, dealing with tools, a hammer, a, you know, a wrench, whatever. And they really bond. And he does get close to the person that could do this. And I, I don't want to tell any more because it really, it, it twists and turns in a lot of ways. And it isn't the movie that you think it's going to be. It's not Liam Neeson going after the killer of the, of the dead person. It's... Um, a dad just trying to do what he thinks is right for his daughter. And very few words come out of Matt Damon's mouth, but boy, is there acting. And he, I think he's very good. I think he's a best actor nominee just based on this. And I liked it. I thought it's a, a very good film because I was always engaged and I didn't know where it was going. And then when you do find out, again, it's another one of those ones at the end, you go, oh yeah, that's the film. It could easily have been a, a high action film or it could have been a romantic dramedy. Um, and it's something much more than, that gets you to think. And it does talk about Americans in another sense. So yeah, I, I rather uh, appreciated it. I thought it was good. That's definitely going to be a second in the chamber for me to see this week after the one that I was going to talk about. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that one. Yeah, making the leap as far as paternal child relationships go, uh, but definitely in a, a different direction, maybe. 
there's a new movie on Netflix called The Last Mercenary, which is a, a French action comedy starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, JC VD himself. And within the, the first, not even three minutes of the film, the, the first shot that you get of him is, of course, him doing the splits wedged up in, in, in the ceiling of, of this, you know, bombed out area. And yeah, it's really ridiculous. Made me think a lot of the, I know I've, I've talked about OSS 117, Cairo Nest of Spies and the other uh, OSS 117 movie has the same kind of tongue in cheek action comedy that's there. Uh, and this is also about the Jean-Claude Van Damme character, who is the, the, the titular last mercenary having to reconnect with his son and come to terms with the fact that he was a bad dad and dealing with all that. And it looks uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's also I mean, it's subtitled. It seems like it's very much in the same vein of I know Lu- uh, Lupin got a lot of traction on on Netflix, and it seems like this is more of a farce than than Lupin is. But if people like Lupin, they'll like this. And I'm intrigued to see how hard Netflix pushes this in America, because as much as they like their above average budget action movies, they're they're not really good at selling <laughs> subtitled films to to Amer- to, the, to the American audience. So we'll see. How old does he look? Does he look like just ancient? I mean, yes and no. I mean, he looks ancient for, I guess, an, an action star maybe, but still profoundly young and live for, I mean, he's got to be what, like 70 something now? <laughs> he's, he's a 60. Yeah. Because he likes Stallone though, where you go, oh, I hope he doesn't die before the end of the show. He looks like a mid to late 40s person that's seen some stuff. I guess. So the thing with him versus like a lot of those other action guys is that like he's in like real shape in some ways that's earned from the years of actually being a fighter and like martial artist versus those other guys who had to like, you know, do the cheat code to get to that point. I would definitely put The Last Mercenary above the straight to, to video stuff that, that he's known for from the, the 90s more in line with the JCVD film that came out in 2008. Very self-aware. So yeah, seek that out in French. It is La Dernier Mercenaire, the daddy of all secret agents. That's what I wanted to hear. The French title of the movie. Yep. Merli, our guest. Here we are. We got one more, which is my, I'm most excited about this one, I think. And Jared's going to take it. Yeah, we got one more, and we're uh, getting out of France. Get out of here with that crap. Uh, we're going over to instead to jolly old uh, England, and in a well, probably not a jolly time in uh, old England when this movie would have theoretically been set. But uh, the Green Knight, which is a twenty four's movie that is out uh, now um, from uh, David Lowry, the same guy that did a Ghost Story and the uh, old man and the gun. And uh, Chris, what's another one of his movies that you saw in theaters? Ain't Them Bodies Saints. Yep, which is what he got his uh, start with. And so this one is, you know, uh, if anyone doesn't know, it's based off of the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is an Arthurian uh, legend where basically Sir Gawain, who in this movie is played by Dev Patel from uh, Slumdog Millionaire and uh, Lion, he basically has to go confront this... uh, night that's like a huge tree-like creature and um i'm gonna see this in the next couple days it's gotten incredibly good reviews the cast is pretty bonkers um like i said dev patel's in it alicia vikander's in it joel edgerton's in it um ralph innocent who was in uh the witch uh is also in it and then uh barry uh kugan who's been in like um uh dunkirk was fantastic in dunkirk was in um, American Animals and was great in that. He's also, oh, and uh, Killing with Sacred Deer. Uh, he's also in it. So it's a, uh, a stacked cast. I think this is the first A24 movie that's been back in theaters since the pandemic. Zola. Zola, that's right. Okay, so the second one. But this is definitely their big push for the this chunk of year. This was one that they 
held off on. Whereas I think Zola, they, they also held off on, but Zola could have probably made as much money in theaters as it did, you know, just going straight to streaming. I'm ballparking that back of the envelope math for sure. But the the budget for the Green Knight definitely requires them to wring as much as they can out of the theatrical experience. Yeah, they've had this in the chamber since, because uh, it had its premiere like March 16th of 2020. So basically right before everything completely went to hell. And I'm super excited to see it. Like I said, great director, great cast, and uh, I'm always up for an Arthurian uh, tale. I think it's like Game of Thrones. It's a little hard to t- maybe a little bit from like the reviews and stuff I've seen. And then I think there's going to be some like, a, you know, kind of trippy stuff going on too. So a dragon, maybe one can only hope. <laughs> need a dragon. And no, there's no movie that isn't improved by adding dragons or nudity. HBO Max. I mean, they're, they're going to be uh, hopefully printing money with all the, Game of Thrones related content that they've got lined up from your lips to, uh, you know, HBO's ear. That's what they do, though, is it, you know, now I'm asking for a little too much money. Oh, we're going to go back and do origin story and we'll get people that nobody knows and we don't have to pay them. Or we give them a percentage on the back end. (laughs) Hey, on the back end, let's do that. Scarlett, I have a, a, a lovely franchise for you. And if I give you a little piece of the action you'll be fine right we can uh we can talk about that in a little bit <laughs> i think that that's going to be all over our our news talk shortly so green knight people should definitely go see that support the arts <laughs> not a bad week for new stuff in the theaters actually and jared you'll be thrilled to know i'm getting pig this weekend nice so very nice hopefully the heat wave will not keep me from going into a cold theater what better place to be during a heat wave? Right. That's how they used to build movie theaters and air conditioned. That was your plus. That was what made it so great. So they just got to throw more things in there like that. That's why we have recliners now, because you want as comfortable as you can possibly. If they had massaging recliners, it'd be even better. They need to bring back the, uh, was it William Castle? Was that his name? The guy that had all of the, the crazy stunts. You know, you'd show up and have like, you know, swamp rats running around under your feet or the, the tingler. That was it. All the chairs had some kind of weird little vibrating thing attached to them. I just found one of the uh, old timey ads and this one says um, Tampa's cool vacation land and it's a movie theater. And then there's another one that says uh, scientifically air conditioned. Uh, that's the big thing on the marquee. Not the name of any movie that's showing or the time, but uh, scientifically air conditioned. The movies were bad, but they, they didn't care because it was in, it was like TV. You know, in those days when they didn't have TV, they were sitting there, well, I got air conditioning. You guys have been watching the Olympics? Yes. I still haven't seen a second of the Olympics. Bruce, have you picked up on, like, how is, like, based on what you've seen of the coverage, how is, is the city really playing into the, the Olympics this year? They haven't done a good job of that since CBS had Winter Olympics. When they CBS did Winter Olympics, they were very interesting because they throw it in a little town like Lillehammer or Albertville, and you got a sense of what that place was like. I don't know Tokyo from any other big metropolitan city. Yeah, sure, they do some stuff in the morning where they learn a couple words of Japanese and a customer or two, or they go shopping, but that's not the, the culture. You could learn more about Tokyo from an episode of, of The Amazing Race, per se, than, than from the Olympics coverage. Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Is that going to be your Tokyo pick? I should pick that one, right? No. Yeah, Jared's the one that threw this out as the staff pick topic. Movies in Tokyo. What have you got for us, Jared? Godzilla. Oh, no. There goes Tokyo. Go, go, Godzilla. Shout out to Blue Oyster Cult. Fantastic song. That was tempting to do, but I already gave uh, the Godzilla versus Kong movie enough love. So instead, uh, my pick, nice and easy, right down the middle of the plate, uh, the 2004 remake of uh, The Grudge with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar in it. Um, of course, they made that after the remake of The Ring uh, did so well in uh, America. A nice uh, throwback early 2000s uh, horror movie. 
the early 2000s was a very weird time for horror movies where they were kind of lost and there was no real uniting thing for a while between any of those movies until things kind of locked in, I guess, with Saw and Hostel, you know, with like the torture porn stuff for a couple of years. But it's fascinating to watch stuff like, you know, The Grudge or The Ring or stuff from that early period of the 2000s because it's kind of all over the place and there's no real through line. So uh, if you want to watch a movie uh, set in Tokyo and go back to the early 2000s, watch The Grudge. That's good. What have you got, Bruce? Lost in Translation. Perfect. Yeah, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. Stay tuned for more on that one. But, you know, I, it gave you a sense of contemporary Tokyo, I think, where it isn't, you know, we see so many films and we always think, oh, they're all going to be doing customs and things. And it's, it's like New York. It's New York, for lack of a better reference. And Bill Murray was so good in that. God, he was good in that. He needs an Oscar. I'm putting that one right out there. And he's not going to get it for Ghostbusters this year, but he needs one because he is very good in a subtle, subtle kind of way. And Scarlett Johansson, she needs to do less of the, the kind of franchise films and more of these kinds of things, even though she was young. You know, and she's been around forever, forever. And hey, Sofia Coppola could work a little harder too. So Lost in Translation, set in Tokyo, talks about an aging actor who's doing a promotional thing for a whiskey company, meets a young woman at the bar. And there we are. That's when the soundtrack is also absolutely incredible for that film. What's yours, Chris? My pick is, I kind of avoided the actual Hollywood thing, but leads into it a little bit. Uh, I went with 1988's Akira, directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, it's an anime, uh, yeah, based on a, a manga uh, comic book. Um, series of comic books. I think there's like, I don't know, six or eight volumes of them that are each like phone book size, more or less, uh, collected. And it is, yeah, Neo Tokyo. And it actually is set this year <laughs> when the Olympics uh, should have been happening in Tokyo. So it is kind of uh, presaging what ended up being, minus the psychic children <laughs> with insane powers and all of the crazy body horror uh, that goes into that. The Hollywood connection, I guess, is that it is eventually going to get remade uh, as a live action film directed by Taika Waititi. That is on the books. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm intrigued. Hollywood does not have a great track record of doing live action remakes of, <laughs> of anime. Yeah, to mention uh, Scarlett Johansson again, Ghost in the Shell. Gonna say, yeah, that that was a movie that was not good. And yeah, Akira, absolutely incredible film. People should definitely check that out. It is on Hulu. If you have not seen it, uh, give it a shout out. Easily one of the coolest movie posters of all time, hands down. Absolutely. Yep. It's really shaped, I think, the way that I, as a, a Westerner, uh, you know, think of Tokyo which is maybe not the best advertising for Tokyo, <laughs> but it definitely gave me just the, the feel of what those tiny little bars and the, you know, the student riots and the, the cities, everything definitely felt like in that film is, was kind of mapped onto, onto my brain of, of what Tokyo is like. Oh yeah. I mean, it definitely opened the floodgates for like Japanese pop culture. So yeah, Akira is my pick. Track that down. And we can uh, segue into Scarlett Johansson with with the news. I don't know. I definitely had had her and all of like the box office stuff with same day streaming and everything kind of cannibalizing that as my news item. There were two from uh, the Hollywood Reporter that I was going to jump in on. But I feel like maybe we're all going to talk about the same thing. Yeah, go for it, though, Chris. So Scarlett Johansson is taking legal action against Disney for undercutting the, the profits specifically, I guess that she could have had in that. Cause I, I, you know, she had some kind of a back end percentage deal with it. And the fact that they threw it onto Disney plus, I, I mean, this seems like the kind of thing where I wonder at what point she knew that she was going to end up having to file this because the movie wasn't going to do as well. Uh, I mean, it's despite being good for this air quotes post COVID, you know, theater experience. Uh, it is still 
at the absolute rock bottom of Marvel movies. It still hasn't made its money back, most likely. But when you throw it on a service, you can't tell what the money is being done, you know. Was this a driver that, that people watched? How do, you, how do you give her a piece of the action of that? You can't. There's got to be some kind of clause in this. This goes back to the days of Lady and the Tramp. And um, Peggy Lee wrote the songs for Lady and the Tramp. But when they wrote the contract for that, they never said for any other kind of distribution. It was just for the movie. And of course, then we had cassettes and um, DVDs and things come out. And she said, I should get a piece of that action. And she won. She won because it wasn't written in the contract. And I'm sure you can't think about a pandemic coming and then there's gonna be this streaming service that you drop it on. So I, I see it from that perspective, but come on. Apparently from like the reporting and stuff from like the Wall Street Journal, uh, like the her salary for the movie in part was like contingent on the box office performance. And at least in a couple of the articles that have been about it, like it might've cost her anywhere up to like 50 million. <laughs> and I mean, it definitely sounds like it is within, you know, like the middle of the pack as far as quality of, of Marvel movies and should have done better as a standalone thing. So she sues the, the studio. Does that say nobody wants to work with her because they're afraid of this or nothing? But it also sounds like she is in the position where she can do that because, and we talked about this last week, you know, she doesn't have any, she doesn't have any Marvel or Disney projects in the hopper right now. And, you know, she's got, you know, she's pregnant, uh, just got married. So, I mean, I could see her taking a step back or just doing more indie type things because, I mean, she doesn't need the money. Is it a wise move or does it make her look greedy at a time when everybody else is not getting anything. It seems like she is in a position where she is able to do what a lot of other people wish they could do, given the way that the studios have been rolling out these movies in the pandemic by necessity. I mean, there's no other way that they could have done this. I mean, they're not going to sit on this for question mark number of years until the pandemic is over, when what is the theater landscape going to be? And it's going to make some money, but not going to live up to the hype. And at least Disney Plus is charging people to see it, whereas the movies that are coming out on uh, HBO Max, I mean, they're just coming out as part of your base subscription. You didn't have to pay anything extra to see Space Jam 2, which is maybe for the better, <laughs> honestly, but you look down the line and you've got something like Suicide Squad and Dune, these massive movies that in any other reality would be these huge tent poles. And sure, there's, they're going to get a lot of traction in theaters, but it's still really limited and dampered by that. And it was you know around this time last year when HBO Max was saying that they were going to be rolling out movies like this. And I remember... Denny Villeneuve, the director of Dune, was like, this sucks. I, I hate this. And I think he was threatening or maybe actually did kind of, you know, some some saber rattling about legal action against HBO uh, when it came to distributing this because he, he made it for theaters. He wants people to see it in theaters. It doesn't even necessarily have to do with him getting the money back on that. It's much more an artistic credibility as far as you can trust that, <laughs> I suppose. That's why I think uh, to answer Bruce's question a little bit too, uh, like, except for like maybe losing the lawsuit or whatever ramifications might come from that, it's not a bad move for Scarlett Johansson because she's probably done with the Marvel movies anyway. And like, even though, she, and she gets to have it both ways a little bit because she gets to be in all of those movies and break in, you know, gobs and gobs of cash. But now also with the lawsuit, gets to be the person that's like taking on Disney, which is definitely appealing to some people at this point because Disney is like, you know, as close to a monoculture as there is right now. And so you get to be the person that's fighting the big, terrible uh, studio. Like Betty Davis of her time. What shocks me is how much they make for those movies. I mean, look at Robert Downey Jr., hundreds of millions of dollars for really not doing too much. You know, and then somebody does a really gritty kind of uh, biography, whatever it might be, and they work like dogs to try and recreate who this person is. 
And you know that if they get $2 million, it's a big payday. So it's, it's really unfair. And that the culture, if you don't have a Marvel film on your resume, you're really nothing in Hollywood. You know, they can pivot very easily with this and just say, all right, we're done with Scarlett's character. We're going to go to Florence's. That's how we'll do it. Well, it seems like that that's what they were going to do in the first place. But yeah, the, the move that Scarlett's doing, it seems very, it, you know, could be indicative of the artists trying to push back against the date and day, you know, release process. Should they be so worried, though, about being on TV and not being in a theater? Yes. Is that really a... Yeah. Well, you look at, I mean, there are, uh, you know, F9, Black Widow. These are movies that had incredibly steep drop-offs from opening weekend, much more so than than they would have normally. And, you know, a lot of the, the theater owner organizations are basically saying that it's because of that, you know, day and date release process. Would you go with your money being based on something else? You know, like if they said, we're going to pay you, Chris, based on how well this podcast does. Would you go along with that? Or would you say, I would rather have a flat salary? I'd rather have a flat salary. I do too, because I, we don't get to look at the books. And I think that's part of the thing with her. She can't look at those books to really be sure. And they always will throw in other costs. And so the most successful film you've ever seen ended up being a financial loser because they were putting all other bills on that ticket to make it seem like it was not successful. The only industry that is more notorious for screwing its, its artists over as far as that stuff goes is the music industry. <laughs> Offering points and then stealing them back and everything else. Yeah, so I totally understand. And I mean, I, I wish her luck on this. It just seems like given the circumstances right now with that being a, a standalone movie, so it's not necessary to see given the rest of the Marvel continuity, the fact that it came out during a pandemic and the fact that it was also distributed for 30 bucks ago uh, on Disney Plus. I mean, it's it seems like it's a really unique issue. So I don't know. But it's also there are any number of other films that are in that same situation right now that are coming up. I've got my eye on it. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. And ultimately, I just I don't want theaters to, to lock up again. Disney said the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's pretty cynical. Not surprising because, I mean, those companies are cynical at the end of the day, but that's pretty cynical to take that approach. If, if you're chasing after the bus, you know, it's very likely you're going to end up in, in the gears. That's a, that's a failure of a metaphor, but it makes enough sense. <laughs> this whole year and going forward, big, you know, who knows how long this is going to last, especially with the, the Delta variant possibly ending up with lockdowns kicking back in regardless of vaccination we're in we're in a tight spot for for movies you know so yeah it'll be interesting to see where all this goes and if it ends up with studios being forced to stop putting all of their eggs in these huge ip baskets not the worst thing not the worst thing but I don't think that they're going to do that. I mean, it's too hard to really change gears, but if they could, you know, end up with more lower budget indie type things, like even something like Stillwater, you know, where it is just geared at, you know, adults and isn't going to cost a fortune and you're going to end up with, you know, great talent doing great work. But yeah, like in, in my mind, even something like the green Knight is probably budget wise, above where you know things would necessarily be going so we'll see are you guys optimistic at all about this about theaters oh i am i still am it's still an event it's still something to do and again they're being challenged to find a different way like air conditioning um to make people want to come there now i don't know how long you know until we know what happens with the coronavirus and the variants and all that stuff, 
maybe this isn't the time to make that pivot, but maybe this is the time to think about that and see what else you can do. Because there are things that people have done that you go, oh, that's, remember when they just started putting slot machines, or not slot machines, but video machines and stuff like that in the, in theaters, you go, oh, that's an interesting twist for them to make another dime. Um, maybe there's something else there that they can do at a theater that we don't have. As long as it sticks with the theme and it doesn't end up being like how blockbusters were at the end of, of their lifespan, when it was, you know, you'd walk in and they just try to sell you action figures and, you know, tin Coca-Cola signs and like all this other unrelated trash. You yeah, know, I mean, when it, family you know. video at the end too, selling CBD and stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need. That's the answer right there. It's a changing time, but it's movies have gone through changes, you know, at least every decade that something was like, oh, it's going to kill it. Oh, it's going to kill it. It's going to kill it. And it doesn't. And it's just a matter of transitioning a bit. You know, they come with better quality films. They have better presentation. We never, we sat in hard old seats at one point. Now we're in recliners. So that's the thing. And you know, when they serve you food at certain places where they come to the table and you got a, a tray full of nachos or something that you're eating at the table. Get that table side guac. Well, and then they throw you a blanket. Have you been to those places where you get a blanket and the whole thing? Yeah, it's like, this is interesting, but I have never stayed awake during any of those films. You, know, you got a good recliner, you got food by the side of you, you got somebody waiting on you all the time in a blanket. I am falling asleep. I mean, it feels like with studios developing their own streaming services over the past couple of years and the idea of these, you know, theatrical blockbusters not turning as big a profit, it seems like it's either going to be a return to the, you know, studio theatrical system where they just kind of control what you're seeing regardless, uh, which we touched on last week. Or, I mean, it could be a, a real push for more indie stuff that isn't going to cost them a fortune, even if it ends up on streaming, as opposed to theaters necessarily. I mean, we're definitely in a, a very tumultuous time where things could go a lot of different directions and there's so much that is outside of anyone's control, outside of just masking up. <laughs> no, I think there's, there's too much content at this point because it disappears too quickly and you don't really get to appreciate what was good because something new is coming along. And I think actors today, you know, I mean, let's say we get rid of the pandemic, they'll all be able to find work because there are way too many channels that need to be served. And I think some bad talent is getting on, on these things just because they need somebody. It's interesting. If you look at, I know Vulture always has, you know, some, ranked list of every single Netflix original and the ones that are towards the top. It's like, you even remember those? I rewatched uh, a movie called, I don't feel at home in this world anymore from 2017. I watched that just the other day. And that's another Netflix uh, film starring Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky as well. And that is this wonderful little black comedy noir thriller type thing, low budget that, took me forever to find it it's just not served up anymore look at the hallmark channel they just kind of dig in with all those christmas movies they shoot them all on the same set they all have basically the same plot but people are watching but those are supposed to be disposable those are supposed to be something that is digested very easily and i don't want to say forgotten but you know they're not gunning for any awards it's supposed to be this pap a soothing cultural blanket, regardless of the actual content of it. But I don't know. It's a fascinating time to be alive that is both energizing as well as discouraging for me, riding that, that knife's edge of internal conflict. That's the big news in Hollywood this week. And that's the news in Hollywood. Beep, 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 beep. The one other thing I did want to mention, um, because this was Tuesday and Wednesday, Bob Odenkirk being uh, hospitalized uh, after collapsing uh, while they're shooting uh, Better Call Saul. 
it was one of those things that was uh, strange, A, because, and I mean, you know, credit to his family for feeling like they didn't have to, but uh, there were no news updates for a good long stretch from Tuesday into Wednesday, which doesn't happen anymore. So that already felt like a bit of a, like a throwback to an arrow we don't see much of now. And then the other thing was just at least with, you know, again, Facebook and Twitter are not representative of real life, but there was as close to uniformity on my like feeds and on both of those platforms as I think I've seen in a while about the same topic. And it was all just everyone wishing that uh, Bob Odenkirk was okay, which again, you don't see uniformity on anything anymore because that's not the way things work now, whether it's with our cultural taste or you know political taste or anything else. So to see all of that and then of course to find out that he's going to be okay was uh, pretty interesting to watch play out this week. He'll be shocked to see that he was that loved. Yeah. You know, because he's been passed over for that Emmy how many times? Come on, it's time. Give him one. Even before this happened, and again, his health is way more important than anything else, but like the 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 final season of this now is going to be such a perfect victory lap for all the years he's put in as his character now. Between all of the wonderful dramatic work that he's done in in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, and then going back to the you know sketch comedy with bob and david which is i mean laid a lot of the track along with the state for where you know sketch comedy went in in pop culture since then you wrote the lunch lady sketch for snl yep going all the way back to that i think he wrote for the first conan as well also i mean he's the one who gave us tim and eric and everything having to do with that insanity <laughs> i obviously wish him well and Hope he's good. And that's what we hope for everybody. It is. All good. They're winning gold medals and they're seeing something good at the movies. Seeing something good. Next week, there's a documentary about Val Kilmer coming out. Uh, so we will have a probably a very Val Kilmer themed episode along with highlighting some other stuff. But if you want to see something good, you can see that. You can see the Green Knight. Water. Still water. Beat the heat. Put that air conditioning. And see something good in the air conditioning. So that is the episode. Next week, we've got the Val Kilmer documentary to look forward to. So make sure you're subscribed if you don't want to miss our best Doc Holiday impressions. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. She's having a baby. Yep. And then the next thing you know, she's digging in the pasta salad.